The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. If you have a Bible, let's open it to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 11. We're going to look at verses 7 through 19. And the title of the message, as you can see in your notes, is um, The Force of Faith. And... Um, now, I, I'm not saying this is not Star Wars, may the force be with you kind of a force, but I'm talking about real supernatural power uh, that faith is. And we're, we're going to talk about that and define that from some things Jesus said uh, to John the Baptist. So let's bow our heads and pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for today and welcome all those who are here with us in the house of the Lord, a house of prayer for all nations. May you be glorified. May the Holy Spirit um, take, you know, the words that are here written down. And Lord, may they come alive. May the Word of God burn within our minds, within our hearts. May we have the capacity to have our spiritual ears opened and to hear the still voice of the Spirit of God, making the Word uh, appropriate for us. It, it's, it's alive. It's a fresh word. And open our eyes to see what you want to say to us for this day, for this coming week, uh, for this particular season that we are living in. We thank you, Father, for hearing our prayer. We know that you will answer it, for we know this is your will, that your word would be magnified, Jesus lifted up. And so we give all these things in your hands, in Jesus' mighty precious and wonderful name, and everyone said amen. Okay, so um, for our first, you know, life lesson, uh, we're going to talk about true greatness, because we're talking about John the Baptist, whom Jesus is going to point to and say, nobody who has ever come before has been greater than John the Baptist. But, but true greatness comes from the developing character. Um, so I want to, I'm going to actually go back to verse 1. We covered verses 1 through 6 last week, but I want to just read through it so you get the context, and then we'll pick up with some points in verse 7. It says, Now it came to pass, when Jesus finished commanding his twelve disciples, that he departed from there to teach and preach in their cities. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another. So we, we talked about how sometimes we're in situations that are dark and depressing, a prison, if you will, and we can have doubts about, wait a minute, this, you know, for John, uh, I prepared the way, I point, you're the Messiah, you're the king, all these prophecies about, you know, peace breaking out and the power of God, and why am I in prison? How come are you, you know, you're doing miracles for others, but how come I'm in here suffering? And we, we don't see, uh, God doesn't meet our expect expectations. And so he sent two disciples. And verse 4, Jesus answered and said to them, go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. 
Can I just say, uh, drop a little word here that in our lives, as God's sons and daughters, we get saved, we start following the Lord, we're growing. Um, sometimes, has this ever happened to you that God doesn't do things the way you thought he would? Or he doesn't use his power the way, you know, like, God, you're all powerful and you're good and, and doesn't seem like, and so our prayers are helping God learn how he could use his power more efficiently on our behalf. You know what I'm saying? How many have found that God does not need our advice, though? He doesn't need our counsel. So sometimes when it doesn't meet our expectations, I think it's an interesting word. Jesus says, do not be offended because of me. It's easy for us as human beings to get offended. Well, wow, if, if God, if that's the way it's going to be, if that's the way you're going to treat me, and then, you know, we stop having devotions or we don't go to church for a while and we act like a pouting, hurting little child waiting for God to feel sorry. For, oh, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. But God's not going to do that, right? So Jesus told John, just because things aren't working out the way you thought, don't get offended. Hang in there, John. And then he, he sent him word. He, he basically said, hey, John, here's the answer. You know the word. You know the prophecies. You declared them. You pointed to me. He goes, here's the good word, John. Everything that you prophesied, everything that the prophets said would happen when the Messiah comes is happening. Messianic miracles are exploding within Israel. And the interesting thing is, from this time... When John was in, you know, kind of a bit of a depression and doubt, and, and he asked, and, and I think it shows us that it, he did, Jesus did not reprimand John. It's okay to be a child of God and have moments of confusion or doubt. Uh, and the Lord will always answer with his word to remind you, my word can be trusted. It is faithful. It will accomplish everything that it is meant to accomplish. Now, on the way, don't get offended. It's, don't take an offense. Uh, just say, God, I don't like it. I don't understand it, but I am going to choose to trust in you. And John never asked another question. He was satisfied with the Word of God. So beginning of verse 7, it says, and as they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John. And I like this because the multitude, apparently the two disciples did not, you know, try to get Jesus away privately. Uh, we didn't want to say anything or bring a disturbance, but John's having some doubts in prison. They just said it openly, publicly. There's Jesus. There's all these other people that are getting healed and ministered to. They go, hey, John, the Baptist who pointed to you, he's in prison. He's got some questions. He has some doubts. Are you the one or should we wait for another? Jesus gives them the answer. No, the prophecies are coming true. They go, okay. They go back to tell John. And then Jesus starts addressing the crowd who has apparently been eavesdropping in on the conversation. And as they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitude concerning John, what did you go out to see, or go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? You know, in case people started thinking less of John, you know, do you think he's just a reed that went with the wind? No, but what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Um, so what Jesus, I like this, Jesus stood up for his guy, John the Baptist. Because John the Baptist stood up for the Lord and for the Word of God. 
And in a moment of need, if you stand with God and His Word and His promises, guess what? God will stick up for you. He will deliver. He will come through. He will bring you through it. Don't get offended along the way. Now, the world at large has standards by which it measures greatness. And these modern standards, if you will, include intellectual achievement, uh, political or military leadership, scientific medical discoveries. If you're athletic and super talented, uh, then you're considered great. Or if you're good with drama and movies, or you're able to write a great tale and millions of people buy your books, or if you have musical ability that's unusual, then we say that you are great. But God has another standard by which He determines greatness. And he, this is the creator of the universe. This is your, not only the creator of the universe, your dad, your father. And this is what he considers greatness. One word, character. Character. Now, I know that there's some of you here that you're note takers, and I see you, you have your pens, your little Bibles, or your little app, or whatever you're writing on. I want you to write down the word character. Some of you don't do it by writing. You just, you know, are listening or whatever. But I want you to write the word character in your brain. Write it on your heart. Because I want to tell you that that word character, that, that's everything to God. He, he, he wants, he, look, it's great. You get saved. You're, you're born again. You're, you're a citizen of heaven. You're a child of God. You're going into the kingdom. But he's not satisfied with you remaining a baby Christian, it is the will of your dad and your father in heaven that you and I, uniquely, individually, everyone, grow up from being a baby into the full measure of the full mature stature of Jesus Christ. He who has begun a good work in you will keep working on you and shaping you and forming you and developing you until your character looks just like his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Now, great generals put their lives on the line for their troops. Great scientists will often risk their health to make an important discovery. Great inventors will often sacrifice years of social life in order to make an important discovery. Great medical researchers have often risked exposure even to disease in order to discover a cure that will save thousands of lives. Uh, to put it simply, the easy way is never the way of success, not only in this world, but also in the kingdom of heaven. Now, John lived in the desert, uh, and, and you want to talk about a guy that, that you know, was totally committed to his calling. It's almost like if you look up in the word in the Webster's Dictionary, prophet, it's got a picture of John wearing camel's hair clothing. He lived alone in the desert with a leather belt. Now, by the way, uh, how many of you have ever ridden a camel or gotten close to a camel or touched a camel? It's not soft. It's not something you want to wear. And John lived in that thing. You know, he's out there. He's got the leather belt. His diet is locusts. Now, I've been, we've got 16 people in Africa, Sean, Pastor Sean and Annie, and 14 others are in Africa right now. They get back Friday, and, and they're in northern Uganda ministering uh, to all these children, and then they're also with the chaplains of South Sudan, and I'm sure they're going to have some great stories to tell when they get back. Well, I've been there, and especially in South Sudan, we went to the local mart, 
And, they, and, and so Wes Bentley, my friend who has far-reaching ministries there in Africa, he goes, and I saw this big pile of, it looked like a, you know, brown burning pile of, I didn't know what. And it, Wes is laughing. He goes, Ray, come here. He goes, you want a, a delicacy? I go, what? And he reaches down and he picks it up. It was a crispy brown with some weird little sauce on it, locust. He goes, you want to be like John the Baptist? I said, not really. He gave me one, and I chewed it, and I, my faith swallowed it. Do you, you want to know what it tasted like? Chicken. No, it, <laughs> no, it did not taste like chicken. It tasted like a nasty locust. That's what John lived on out in the wilderness. He was the real deal. His lifestyle was a visual protest against the self-indulgence that was going on in the capital of Israel in Jerusalem. It was a, you know, visual protest against self-centeredness. John was humble. He had no resentment even of Jesus' now current popularity. Now, by the way, Israel had not heard the voice of a prophet for 400 years. God had just stopped speaking. He sent prophet after prophet after prophet you know, and trying to deal with the people and telling stories and visions and dreams and warnings and worries. And they were just like, la, 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 la. They didn't want to hear. So he said, okay, I'll stop talking. And that can develop a hunger to hear something from God, the living God, 400 years later. And all of a sudden, not in Jerusalem, not in the temple, out in the desert. And by the way, as I've mentioned, John started preaching to nature. He started warning the earth to the mountains to the hills and the valleys, and even the creatures, repent, earth, for the king is coming. And people started hearing him, and they go, whoo, man, that guy has the ring of truth. There is a prophet among us after four centuries. They went back to Jerusalem, and people stopped going there, and by the hundreds and then thousands, they came out, and they said, no, the real, this guy is legit. Let's go out and hear him. And you, you could tell and feel the power and the authority of the Word of God. And then finally, Jesus gets baptized. John gets the sign. The heavens split open, because God told him this would be the sign of which one of these is the Messiah. And the Holy Spirit descends from that split heaven in the form of a dove and lands upon Jesus and confirms to John, he's the one. And John says, I've been telling you the Messiah is coming. Now I'm pointing to him. He's among you. He's that guy right there. Can you imagine? Thousands of eyeballs all turn. Jesus of Nazareth. Behold, John said, that guy is the Lamb of God that's going to take away the sins of the world. And immediately, the multitudes who were following John, in fact, they admired him and respected him and knew that he was living the life and man of character. Immediately, those thousands who followed John, and even some thought, he, he, maybe he is the Messiah. He just doesn't want to say yet. And, and when John said, no, I'm not, but that guy right there, Jesus of Nazareth, he's the guy. Thousands stopped following John and began following Jesus. And guess what? John was not jealous. He was not resentful. He didn't care. He was genuine, real, a man of character. He was humble. And some of his own disciples said, hey, this doesn't seem right. I mean, you were the guy and the voice and everybody, and now they're all following him. And what did John say? John said, hey, good. He is the Messiah. He must increase and I must decrease. It's time for me to bow out and get out of the way. 
May I say that would, a, that would be a great banner. If you want to have and be a man or a woman of God and character, let this be written as a banner above your head. May Jesus increase and may I decrease. Amen? So God is interested in men and women of character. In other words, God is interested in who you are, not on the outside, not what your status is, your position is, your title is, your accomplishments, your achievements. God is interested in who we are on the inside, in our heart, the essence of our nature. When Samuel the prophet was finally told, because Israel was to have a king, and God told him by the Spirit, it's going to be from one of the sons of this guy, Jesse. So Samuel comes to Jesse's house and he goes, bring your sons before me. I must see them for today. I will not leave until I anoint the king of Israel. And so Jesse brought his oldest firstborn son of the eight that he had, tall, handsome, strong, man of character. And Samuel's going, yeah, that's got to be the guy, the firstborn, the blessing. And God goes, "Mm mm-mm. You got another son? Yeah. So the next guy comes up. No, not him. The next guy gets up, not him. And they go all the way down to finally the last, the least, the littlest, the youngest. David walks out. And God says, that's the guy. Now, I want you to read this scripture with me. I put it in your notes. First Samuel 16, 7. Because it's not about outward appearance. It's about inward character. So let's read this scripture out loud. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. That's character. That's what character is. That's the way we should judge ourselves and the way we should look at one another. It is the source of true greatness. Now let's go on to the next couple of verses, 9 through 11. Character is manifest when we stand on God's Word no matter what. So beginning again, I want to go to verse um, 9. He says, but what did you go out to see? A prophet? Talking about John. Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. Wow. He's the greatest of the prophets. But now a lot of people know that when John's the greatest who has ever come, but they leave off the last part of the verse. He says, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Now that, that's amazing. Um, this is John's character because John is kind of the, you, you think of all the prophets that started with Moses and then all the way through uh, to the very, very end. And Jesus says, none is greater than John the Baptist. He's the valedictorian of prophets. He's the number one guy. And God was so moved and impressed by him. But then Jesus adds, but I want you to know, John is the end. He's the last of the line of the Old Covenant and of the Old uh, Testament and of uh, the prophets, the law and the prophets. Jesus says, but I am the beginning of the New Covenant. God had prophesied and promised. It's a wonderful chapter, Jeremiah chapter 31. 
God said, I'm going to write and make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, through them all the nations who would believe through His Son, the Messiah. And this time I will not write my law on tablets of stone, because the original Ten Commandments of stone, do you know the Bible says were written with the finger of God, the Word of God, like fire, burned and etched into stone. And yet they broke those commandments, and the commandments judged us and separated us from God. The law is holy, we are not. And then the new covenant, God says, this time I'm going to write with my finger and my word and the fire of my presence, my word and my will, but I'm going to write it in the minds of men and women and on the hearts of men and women. I will infuse them not only with my will and not only with my word, but I will fill them with my glory and with my spirit, and I will give them the power to fulfill that word and to live in my nature and to walk in my spirit and follow my ways. Hallelujah. That's us who are in the new covenant. John had been filled with the spirit from the womb, but he had not been, had the Holy Spirit in him the way that believers would after the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the outpouring of the spirit in Pentecost. But I like that Jesus is sticking up for John, lest people think he was weak and wavering. Uh, John t- or Jesus tells those nearby John, this guy, he was not a, we- a reed that was shaken or blown easily in the wind. And he appeals to their experience of John. When you heard John, did he sound like he was weak or unable to speak his mind? No. Very strong. Very powerful. The truth is, if ever in human history there was a man of conviction, it was John the Baptist. He stood up to the Pharisees. He stood up to the Sadducees. He stood up to the scribes. He even stood up to the king, Herod, and he was thrown in prison because of it. And John was amazing. He was powerful. And after 2,000 years of God preparing the way, predicting the way, prophesying the coming of the way of the Messiah, John got to be the one, the last one to say, not only is he coming, he's here, and he's right there. He's that guy right there. So when you stand on God's Word, uh, when John was given the Word by Jesus, the prophecies are coming to pass, John never asked another question. It settled it for him. And what I want to say is John stood on the promises and the prophecies of God's Word. This is what character means for you and me as a child of God. Look, we all… how many of you have problems? Okay, like if you're… you have a pulse, you've got problems. Now, we can sit down and talk about… I can tell you my problems, but my problems are my problems. And you can say, well, yeah, but I, I got bigger problems than you. You know, everybody's problem. You, you can't share other people's problems. You can hear about them, but only you know your problems. And I know my problems. But we all have problems. And we need to, so what do we do when the world is not looking the way it should? And we're a child of God. And we're challenged. Here's what you do. You stand, you stand on the rock of what God has said period. You don't move. You just, you just stand there. And I, what I want to say is this is what character is. God is going to allow in your life and mine, because he, he's more interested, he's not as much interested in us having a, a, a nice, easy life. 
God is more interested in you growing up and in you and I developing character. Therefore, he will allow things to look kind of messy out here. And the challenge he's saying and the invitation that's being given is, son, daughter, I know it looks a mess out there. And I know that right now, there's nothing seems like it's giving or changing. What are you going to do? Are you going to trust in me? Are you going to stand on my word? Are you going to stand on my, prophecy, uh, my prophecies? Or are you, are you going to run around and try to fix everything, get in there and mess things up or whatever? And that's the temptation. If we, we wait for God, we pray, and he isn't doing anything, so I'll help him out. We jump out there, and then we get all messed up and tangled up in all the issues of life. And God is saying, don't get out there. Don't mess around with that. It's beyond you. You stand on my word. You stand on my promises. Even if it doesn't make sense, close your eyes to what you see out there and in your heart say, Lord, I don't get it. I don't understand it. I don't like it. I feel like I'm in prison, my own. But just like John, but I choose to believe that you are faithful. I choose to believe that you are good. I choose to believe that you will work things together for my good, but I will not budge. Here I stand and I will not move. And the moment you stay there and stand there and you kind of gut it out and you make that choice, guess what you will experience every single time. Eventually, in God's wisdom, in God's timing, by your Father's will, He will start moving and bending the circumstances around you. And He will mold them or break them or force them to be a path upon which you walk in victory all the way to his will. Amen? If you get all upset and emotional and you start running around, he'll let you just run around and get all, you know, caught in the whirlwind of everything. You're not going to learn anything. And he's not going to help you because he's interested in your character. But man, once you get a taste of the power of standing firm, out of character, out of a choice of will on the promises of God, the faithfulness of God, the character of God. And once you start seeing the outside world begin to be molded and bent and formed and shaped according to the good pleasure of God for you, whoo, man, it's like, wow, I want to I just stay here the rest of my life all the way to glory. Amen? That's a wonderful and a marvelous thing for us to experience. Okay, let's look at the last set of verses here, verses 12 through 19. Now, beginning in verse 12, and, and here's the, uh, the life lesson. This is the last one, the third one. So God's wanting to develop character. He wants us to stand on his word and his promises, no matter what's happening on the outside. And then what kind of faith is required, you know, to stand your ground, to stand on the promise of God? I would describe it in this way from these verses. The faith that overcomes is a forceful faith. It's not a passive faith. It's not, well, you know, I guess I'll kind of go along with it. No, it's a choice. It's intentional. And if I may add, there's something fierce about it. It's like, no, I will not be moved. I will not be deceived. I will not uh, be drawn out. Here I stand. And there is something forceful about it. So beginning in verse uh, 12, Jesus says one of the most interesting things. It says, and from the days, so Jesus is saying, and from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. All right, I'm, I'm reading out of the New uh, King James. You might have a different version, but this is a tricky verse. 
And we're going to talk about it in just a moment, but I want to finish the other verses. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But to what shall I liken this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their companions and saying, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. And then we mourned to you and you did not lament. For John came neither eating nor drinking. And they said, he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking. And they say, look, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is justified in her children. All right, so basically what Jesus is, is saying here is, that, okay, John came in the ultimate classic fulfillment of the Old Testament prophet living in the desert wearing camel's hair clothing and just, boom, repent for the kingdom of heaven is coming. And they rejected his message. I mean, if anything was authentic, like the, guy, the message and the man came together, it was John the Baptist, and they rejected him. Then Jesus comes along. He's the friend of tax collectors and sinners. He hangs out with them. He eats with them. He's laughing with them. He's playing with the children. He's healing them, doing miracles, and they reject him too. So basically what Jesus is saying is, look, I, I, I came from both sides, both angles, and you're rejecting both of them. You know, the father's not going to send another one. You've had your opportunity, but wisdom is justified in our children, those who hear and respond, both to John and now the new message of Jesus and the kingdom of heaven, they will be vindicated. I love that. Okay, listen, listen to me right here, right now. It's not, it, like, down here on earth a lot, we get judged, you know, Christians are like this, or they're like that, or they don't know what they're crazy, or whatever, and we suffer through a lot of ill opinion, attitude, or whatever. But know this, the day will come in the future when you will be vindicated for every sacrifice you ever made to not be afraid and not be ashamed to be associated with Jesus of Nazareth. Amen? You will be vindicated. And that day will come. But now getting back to verse 12. Go back to verse 12. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. This is a challenging verse, uh, all admitted commentators would say, to interpret. And the problem comes because this word in the Greek uh, can be read one of two different ways. And, and the first way it can be interpreted, it can carry the idea of being oppressed or treated violently if you are a member of the kingdom uh, or a messenger of the kingdom like John, let alone the Messiah, Jesus, then there is a violence brought on the kingdom of heaven from those outside of it. The scribes and the Pharisees had attacked John verbally. Herod had attacked John physically. And the kingdom was being violently denied and rejected and would in fact soon kill both John and then Jesus. So basically what the Bible is saying is, and what Jesus is saying is that in this world, once you have your, the blinders taken off and you have spiritual vision, that it's not just the physical uh, world. There's a supernatural spiritual world all around us with the holy loyal angels, two-thirds loyal to God, but a third of them under the leadership of an enemy of every child of God. I mean, this guy hates you. He, he wants to rob you and steal 
and kill and destroy you uh, and intimidate you. And it's the devil. And then he's got all these fallen angels that are known as demons. So there is a, in the world then, and even to this day, put politics and values and all of that in, in one corner, but behind the scenes, there is a spirit called this, a spirit of antichrist. It is supernaturally charged. It is demonically originated. It is, it's really ultimately about spiritual attack against those who follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And that spirit is still among us now. And thus, the violence that comes against the kingdom of heaven, let alone the follower of the Lord, the child of God, or the church. And so, um, now, the other meaning. So that's one meaning, and that's true. The other meaning of this verb carries the idea that we have to, in this kind of spiritual warfare environment, we must have a faith that is forceful or we must enter into that narrow gate. It, the idea of the word can mean you have to press in, which is interesting. That's exactly what Paul said. I press for the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You can't be passive. Well, yeah, I kind of, you know, I'm a Christian. I kind of want to grow a little bit maybe or whatever. No, you got to be intentional. You have, to, you have to press in. You have to have a faith that is forcing forward because there's so much opposition coming. This is the idea of, and I put verse 12 in your notes from the NIV. This is how they interpret it, the second way to interpret this word. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and forceful men and women lay hold of it. So looking at the example of John the Baptist and then of Jesus, who took up that same message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It means that those who are in the kingdom of heaven and part of the family of God, we must confront the kingdom of darkness throughout our earthly lives and the demonic strongholds that are behind the scenes in this world. Do, do you get what I'm saying? You have to have a faith that really is serious, and you have to press in, and there has to be a force to it in order to press in. So I want to just read this scripture. We read it often, and it's a good reminder, but Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. Let's read this out loud. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Now that I'm just going to tell you that the spiritual world is real, the demonic world is real, and it's behind the scenes of many things within our culture. And you've got to be awake to it and aware of it. So another way Jesus may be meaning this is about, you know, the kingdom is taken with force. He is saying that to be a child of God means you will be swimming against the flow of the world. It means that you are going against the grain because we have an enemy. The devil and his demons and this world system are at war with us. So, man, you just say, okay, that's the way it is. We don't get to choose. It is, that's the way it is. So we have to intentionally uh, exercise a strong, uh, you know, stubborn faith as we move forward. I close with this last scripture, which tells us how practically we have to do that on a daily and individual basis. Let's read 2 Corinthians 10, verses 4 and 5 out loud. 
The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. What is God's thinking? You find out what God thinks in the Word. And you let your mind, as well as your emotions, come into alignment with the Word of God. What God has said is true. Everything else is a lie, an accusation, and must be rejected. As we do that, I, I, I just want you to know, he's not, he is not kidding when he says this, the Word of God, the promises of God have supernatural, divine power to destroy strongholds that are aimed at bringing you down. And so walk in it, trust in it, be a man of growth and character, and God will vindicate you. Amen? Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.